Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, the National Sustainable Agriculture Information Service, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, this is Rich Myers with NCAT. In this episode, Nina Prater, a soil specialist with NCAT's ATRA, the National Sustainable Agriculture Information Service, sits down for a conversation with NCAT Southeast Regional Director Margot Hale to talk about Margot's recent soil test results for her 20-acre livestock farm. Margot and Nina both work out of NCAT's regional office in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And Margot and her family graze cattle and meat goats, and while they've been happy with their forage productivity, they wanted to do soil tests to see if there was any room for improvement. Nina and Margot discussed the many, sometimes mystifying numbers reported on a University of Arkansas Extension Service soil test, and how to turn those numbers into cost-effective and sustainable management practices on the farm. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Nina Prater, uh, NCAT's soil specialist here in the Southeast office, and I am here today with Margot Hale, the NCAT Southeast Regional Director. Um, and we're here to talk about soil testing um, because Margot is also a farmer uh, and recently got some soil test results back. Um, and we're going to talk about how to translate soil test results into uh, real-world uh, farm management practices. Yes, uh, thanks Nina. I am really excited about this because um, I, yes, I am a farmer and um, I have degrees in animal science and agriculture education and I have worked as a sustainable ag educator for 15 years, um, but <laughs> soil science is not something I um, ever took courses in in college and um, so my knowledge is very basic and I know our soils are so important. They are the key to our pastures and our healthy animals. Um, and so I'm always learning. And so I'm very thankful that we have um, wonderful specialists on our staff here, like Nina, who can help um, take some of this information that I've received and help me translate it. And she can help all of you out there translate um, your, your soil test results um, as well. And so uh, I'm excited to get some practical advice on what to do on our farm. Yes, this is going to be good. Um, so let's first get, provide some context. We're in northwest Arkansas, and your farm, um, your farm has you know typical soils for the southeast. Um, so let's talk about um, a little bit of the background of your farm because that can give us a lot of good information on you know when we're looking at these soil test results. Yes, so we purchased this farm about five and a half years ago. It is 20 acres of mostly pasture. And um, the previous owners, um, from what we know, the previous owners um, in the past had had some cattle and horses on it, um, but primarily in the last um, you know, several years had used it to cut hay. Um, we were assuming that the fertilization used was um, commercial poultry litter because here in Northwest Arkansas that um, is abundant and um, is what most farmers use for pasture fertilization or, or did before there's been some recent regulations. But um, so we were assuming that there had been a lot of poultry litter put on the, on the pastures. Um, 
the the pastures pretty diverse forage mix and um, we have used it to graze cattle and meat goats um, we have cut some hay a little bit, but we're we're moving away from cutting hay off of our farm and you know buying that and bringing those nutrients in, um, and just using the forage that we have um, to graze our livestock, and um, and so we decided. Well, we knew we needed to get a soil test to see what we had, see what we were starting with, um, and see if you know we needed to do anything. We've we have been pleased with our forage production. And um, there aren't really any areas that we were super concerned with as far as low productivity or anything like that. Um, but we wanted to know, like, is there, is there something missing? Do we need to be fertilizing or mending something to make our forage production even better? And so um, we, we decided, um, once again, here in Northwest Arkansas, because of some regulations, um, our Soil and Water Conservation District will put together nutrient management plans, um, and especially if you're wanting to use poultry litter as a fertilizer. And so um, I contacted our Soil and Water Conservation District and they came out and they took this first set of soil samples. Um, from here on out, I know that I can go to my cooperative extension office and. Um, get the soil probe and the boxes to take my own soil samples and um, submit those to our cooperative extension service. But this first time, um, I had folks come out and, and take these samples. Mm -hmm. So you had, uh, you said you have about 20 acres and that was divided into four, um, four areas that you sampled separately or that they sampled separately. Yes. Um, just based on like how it's divided up with fences and how you manage it and things like that. And that's really important. Um, for soil tests, um, the soil test results are only as good as the sample that you take. So if you uh, have a really large area with sort of diversely managed pastures and you lump it all together, you're not you're getting an average of that whole area, and it doesn't really give you very useful information. So how you divide up your farm into different areas for sampling is really important, and it should be based on the soil type, but also how you manage it um, and things like that. So so you got um, you know an expert to come in and do yes. that for you the first time, and that's really good because people who do it all the time, you know, mm -hmm. are able it to. Yeah, and they asked me, you know, which, how many samples, and there's, you know, even one big um, pasture that we have um, that we, you know, plan to subdivide it even more. And so I asked them to sample those differently because I knew we'd be managing them differently um, in the future. So I wanted to know if, you know, one of those uh, areas of that, that big main pasture were, were different than, than the other larger section. Mm -hmm. So um, you've got the test results back yes. and this is a University of Arkansas um, soil test. Um, each state has sort of you know will present their soil test results differently um, when you go through the University Extension Service. So some of this information might be different um, depending on where you're located but we'll just a lot of this is pretty universal so hopefully you'll get um, something out of us going through um, some of these numbers and 
trying to know what you should pay attention to and, and what you shouldn't. So one of the first things I look at when I get a soil test result back is the soil pH, which is how acidic or alkaline your soil is, because that um, determines a lot of nutrient availability. If you have too low or too high a pH, different nutrients get bound up in the soil and the plants can't access it. And that's a pretty easy fix, too. If it's too acidic, you can apply lime and all of a sudden all these nutrients that are in your soil will suddenly become available to the plants without having to apply any other fertilizer. So it looks like for, we're going to just use field number four as an example, um, you have a soil pH of 6.1 which is very good. Um, Yay! <laughs> congratulations, you're over the first hurdle. So uh, around here, I've seen um, pHs of 5.3, even 4.9. I mean, it can get really acidic um, in the southeast. So 6.1 is, you're golden. You don't have to do a thing. Um, and up to 7 is, is you want to be between, I'd say, 5.9 and seven, and this is for pasture soils, um, which is my sort of sub area of expertise. I don't know as much about horticulture, but um, for pasture soils, that's a really good uh, good place to be, a 6.1. Um, and then the other thing that you had tested for that I also like to look at right away is organic matter, um, percentage organic matter. Yes, and we had to, um pay so just the general soil sample test and results would would have been free here in Arkansas um but I had to pay I think it was six dollars um per sample to have the organic matter tested and I knew I knew that much that I wanted to have my organic matter tested and I needed to tell them that before they ran the soil sample um and so I I made sure to do that and so that did have an additional cost here and that of course, I think will vary probably state to state. Um, and I will say, before Nina explains any more of these wonderful numbers, that we will upload this copy of this particular soil te sample test that we are looking at. So um, for those of you listening, if you need a visual, we'll make sure it's up there with a link with the podcast. Um, so organic matter, it's really the only thing on this soil test that um, is an indicator of what's going on with the soil biology. Um, this test really looks at more the, um, the sort of chemical nutrients like um, phosphorus, potassium, nit nitrogen, all of those, and the micronutrients. Um, so that it tests for all of that, but that doesn't tell you how much life you have in your soil. That's just what are the building blocks? And it's important to know, but um, without the soil biology cycling those nutrients, um, you're really, you, you're not gonna have, uh, you're not gonna have a productive pasture. So, um, and I'll, and there's an excellent uh, pub, uh, Atropub publication called Nutrient Cycling in Pastures that goes into pretty um, great detail um, explaining not the individual nutrient cycling pathways like it's often divided in a soil textbook like the nitrogen cycle and the phosphorus cycle but more like what are the main biological 
pathways that these nutrients cycle through. So organic matter is not doesn't tell you how much life you have in your soil, it just tells you how much potential you have for life in your soil. So if you had 1% organic matter, there's not a lot of food for all those microorganisms to eat. They need carbon. And so if you only have 1% organic matter in your soil, that's just not going to drive a lot of activity. But you, amazingly enough, in Northwest Arkansas, have 6.2% organic matter, which is pretty high for around here. And that's a really good place to be. That means that there's plenty of fuel for the uh, microorganisms to consume and do their cycling. Because microorganisms, just like other livestock, they eat nutrients and then they defecate <laughs> nutrients <laughs> or exude. <laughs> In livestock terms, they poop. They poop, yes. <laughs> and then those nutrients are available for the plants. So. Um, they're just little nutrient cyclers down there and the organic matter is a way to sort of um, guess at how much potential activity you have. So, so between your pH and your organic matter, it, like I look at this soil test, uh, th those two sections of it, and think you're, you've got a pretty good place to start. Um, on the <laughs> organic matter, one, what, what is the number that we're shooting for? Is it just a, the higher the better? Or, you know, what typically do you see? And then the second part to that question, if, you know, if I want to increase my organic matter number, which I think I, that's probably the goal, you'll tell me that. And then, um, you know, but what are some practical things that we can do to increase organic matter? Um... It really is kind of the higher the better. To realistically, um, you know, you need you can't have a hundred percent organic matter. Like that's not soil anymore. <laughs> that's pretty much that's compost really. And you need some of that mineral soil mineral for uh, structure, soil water management. You know, if you just have organic matter, you're not gonna. It's not going to work. <laughs> you, need, you need the minerals It's not a there functional too. soil. It's not a functional <laughs> soil. Um, but typically people say 5% is a really good place to shoot. But if you went up to 10%, I mean, that's, that's really good too. Uh, but 6.2, I would say, um, you know, aim to maintain an increase. Um, and ways, I guess one way to look at it is ways you can lose organic matter. Okay. Um, trying to avoid those, such as um, haying, and you're remove when you cut hay and take it off the pasture and feed it somewhere else, Right. Um, you're losing tons of organic matter, um, literally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you hay without returning not just nutrients like um, potassium, which you lose a lot of when you're haying, but also carbon, so any carbon source that you can apply, and the best one is compost because it's a balanced carbon source, nutrient-wise, uh, carbon and nitrogen. It's got the um, prime carbon-nitrogen ratio for, for, um, for the soil microorganisms. Um, so that's a really good way to, if you're haying without reapplying that, um, you're going to lose organic matter. So anytime you remove 
nutrients, return them with carbon. So I've seen people spreading wood chips on their pasture, which you want to be careful of because you can um, bind up the nitrogen and temporarily, but um, you might impact your productivity mm -hmm. short term. So, you know, you have to be, you have to make sure you're balancing the carbon nitrogen ratio, um, but but always returning carbon to the soil. Another um, great way to increase organic matter is through uh, managed grazing, whether you're rotationally grazing intensively or just um, making sure you're giving your pastures enough rest so that the plants can recover. Um, that will help because the plants, the whole time they're photosynthesizing, they're putting um, up to 50% of the sugars that they create through photosynthesis directly into the soil to feed the microbes. And that increases organic matter. Also having um, a thriving fungal network in your soil increases organic matter. Um, there's lots of biological activities that really help support an increase in organic matter. Um, but say this soil test came back with 3% organic matter, I would say it'd be really important to give your soils a boost. Um, and that would be investing in, you know, a significant amount of compost um, to give it a bump. And then once you get it to a certain level, it should be able to maintain itself if mm -hmm. you manage it, um, you know, in the ways that I just described. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff they're doing at, um, in California in the Marin Carbon Project that if listeners are interested in learning more about what car compost can do for your soil, that would be a really good um, place to go okay. read more about. Cool, thank you. Um, so I want to talk about some of these um, terms that are on the soil test that, that just sound crazy. So <laughs> soil EC. That is one that people often have no idea what it means. And it just stands for electrical conductivity, which is a um, sideways way of measuring um, soil salinity, which is a big concern in some parts of the country. In Arkansas, it's not really a concern. Uh, maybe in some parts of the Delta, but around here, mm -hmm. for pasture soil, it's typically not. So this test doesn't even give you a result for that. Okay. I think that's another one of those alternative things that you can add on, mm -hmm. like organic matter. And then there's, right below EC, there's CEC. So <laughs> and that's estimated cation exchange capacity, which is basically um, determined by soil texture and organic matter. And it's like how many, uh, I like to think of it as parking spaces for soil nutrients are there. Because soil has a negative charge on the surfaces. And a lot of these nutrients have a positive charge. Mm -hmm. And that's how they stay in the soil. So having a good CEC is important. But again, it's not the only way you can really affect it in your soil, because you can't change your soil texture, is increasing organic matter. Okay. But um, I typically don't spend a lot of time worrying about CEC. Um, and then soil texture, it's just estimated. They don't measure it directly. Um, but this, it says here you have a silt loam, 
which is fine. That's a good soil texture. All right. <laughs> so, soil texture does determine um, a lot of like how the water moves through the soil and how the nutrients are able to, you know, mm -hmm. it affects the CEC, but um, it's not, you can't go out to your soil if you have a clay soil and dump out dump truck loads of sand and expect to like really improve things. It's just not practical. It's not going to turn into loam. It's not <laughs> going to turn into loam. Either you've got loam <laughs> or you don't. Okay. <laughs> so, so those are some of the, the numbers that, that I, EC, CEC, the, I don't worry about those too much. Okay. In other parts of the country, maybe you'd have to, but here. And then on another section of the soil test, it has the nutrient availability index. Um, so soil tests don't actually like test the total nutrients contained within your sample of soil because plants can't access the total nutrients. Things that are bound up like that are part of the sand particle or the mm -hmm. silt particle, the plants can't necessarily access it. So the nutrient, it, it tests for plant available nutrients um, and it goes through some of the major nutrients and then there are macronutrients and micronutrients and um, at the top it has phosphorus and then below that potassium and then it has some of the uh, micronutrients and phosphorus and potassium are the only two that off to the side here it gives levels of it mm -hmm. gives the numbers um, for all of the nutrients that it presents, like the parts per million of, mm -hmm. say, zinc. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't say whether that's low or high. A lot of times that's because they don't really have the... Uh, the research hasn't really been done on all the micronutrients. Mm -hmm. um, but for phosphorus and potassium, they've done a lot of research on those. And um, here, as you guessed from the history of the management of your farm, the phosphorus um, is above optimum. And that's yes. because poultry litter contains a lot more phosphorus than the plants need. And it just builds up and builds up and builds up in the soil if you apply mm -hmm. poultry litter year mm -hmm. after year after year. Yeah. And then eventually, um, if your soil becomes totally saturated with phosphorus, there's a high risk of it running off mm -hmm. into um, fresh water. Right. And so... And, and, you know, this is high phosphorus, and even though we know it has, our, our land had been hayed quite a bit too, so I'm just thinking if, if a lot of that hadn't been pulled off in hay, it would be even higher. Even higher, yeah. 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 Um, so you're probably never going to need to apply phosphorus again <laughs> in your <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> But right below that, potassium is low. Um, and so this is the front pasture. Was that one that was hayed? Yes, that one has been hayed. And it's even, we've even hayed it mm -hmm. um, in the past. Mm -hmm. So it, it definitely, that pasture, um, yeah, has been hayed. And a lot of times you can guess if something has been hayed when it has low potassium because a lot of potassium is removed in the hay. Okay. Um, and so that looks like an area where you might be able to boost your fertility by mm -hmm. applying um, potassium. But this, but if you didn't have a soil test and you just went out and bought, you know, an NPK fertilizer, you'd be wasting money and potentially causing 
uh, environmental issues with with nutrient runoff because mm-hmm. you have already have plenty of phosphorus. Right. Don't need any more of that. Yeah. So everyone always talks about NPK, mm-hmm. but on here it doesn't even test for N. Right. I wondered about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more, Nina. <laughs> Nitrogen is a unique uh, nutrient in that it cycles um, so rapidly and changes form so much throughout the season based on conditions that you could get a soil test of nitrogen t- taken and then a month later it's total- you have a totally different level of nitrogen in the soil. So they don't bother to test for it in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just, down here, let's take a jump down from nutrients to recommendations. Okay. So they, that, this is where the, the experts have um, taken general you know, level, levels of nutrients and interpret those to, okay, what should you do to, mm-hmm. to um, deal with these numbers? Um, and, it, and it recommends you apply 60 pounds of nitrogen per acre okay. for mixed, cool, and warm season grasses for pasture. Now, if you were growing only cool season grasses, that would be a different crop code. Okay. And they would give you different nutrient recommendations. This is where you have to communicate with the extension service and tell them what you are growing. Right. To get the appropriate recommendations mm-hmm. for your farm. That pasture does have cool and warm season grasses in it. <laughs> right. So these are applicable. And there's room for three different crop codes. So if you're thinking about establishing a legume or something, you know, you can mm-hmm. have recommendations for what to do for mm-hmm. that. Um, or if you're thinking about grazing it some and haying it, mm-hmm. there's a different recommendation for haying that takes into account the nutrient removal. So it's re- it's important to, to consider all of those things. Okay. So why does it uh, recommend that you apply nitrogen when they don't know the nitrogen level? It's, it's just um, based on the fact that it's pasture and traditionally people apply nitrogen to pasture. Mm-hmm. It's not based on how much um, it, needs. it needs Okay. necessarily. And <laughs> it doesn't say anywhere on here whether you have legumes in your pasture. Uh-huh. Do you have legumes? We, yes. So um, we have clover. Now this pasture doesn't have as much as some of our other pastures, mm-hmm. um, but but it does have clover, white clover. So that is adding nitrogen to your soil naturally, mm-hmm. and it is can if you have um, you know a good fungal network of um, mycorrhizal fungi growing in your pasture soil, which mm-hmm. you probably have at least somewhat. Right. Um, that can share it with other grasses mm-hmm. um, it, mid-season. It also cycles nitrogen just by the clover leaves dying and then being consumed and added to the soil. So if the, this nitrogen recommendation doesn't take into consideration that you these legumes are fixing nitrogen and adding them to the soil. Mm-hmm. And if you, apply, if you were to apply commercial nitrogen... Um, though it would limit those legumes' um, ability to 
fix nitrogen. Okay. Or they, it would just make them not fix nitrogen as much because that takes energy. Mm-hmm. And so if you're giving them free lunch, right? why would they, you know, <laughs> Why would they do lunch? their work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's really, it would really set back the, the, not, the natural um, fixing of nitrogen mm-hmm. and it would be unnecess- an unnecessary cost. Is there a way, you know, when you're looking at your pastures or managing your pastures, I mean, is there a way to tell if your pastures need nitrogen? Or you just, you know, just assume that they do need some because it is, you know, it's being consumed, you know, eaten and it needs to grow back and it needs that energy? Or, you know, is there any practical way to know if it, because they don't measure it in a soil test, you know, they obviously provide a recommendation for it, but is there, are there practical ways to know if, you know, if your pastures need nitrogen or, you know, I mean, obviously we want to take soil samples to know if it's something else that is causing, you know, low productivity or something. Right. Um, there are like indicators of, um, nitrogen deficiency in plants. Okay. I'd have to go back and check on what those are specifically because, uh-huh. you know, plants can be a good indicator of nutrient deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different signs for each nutrient. Like, I think it's fo- if it's low in phosphorus, the plant tends to turn purple, things like that. Okay. Nitrogen, it can um, sort of, I think it's yellowing mm-hmm. of the leaves. Mm-hmm. Um I don't have all of those memorized. Yes, okay. <laughs> so don't well, put me on the well, spot. Well, that's good to know. We can look that up. Also, just low, like lower productivity than you would anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, you can that can be one sign of nitrogen deficiency. But here, uh, organic matter. If you had low organic matter, you could possibly also have low nitrogen cycling mm-hmm. happening. Okay. Um, but um, productivity is a tricky one. Because that can be due, low productivity can be due to a huge number of things. Right. And just guessing, like, well, maybe it's nitrogen. <laughs> I'll throw some out there and see what happens. That's not a, that's not a good way to... No, not economical. Not economical <laughs> and not environmentally, you know, the best choice. And right. it can really, it can set things back since it can, nitri- commercial nitrogen fertilizer can acidify soils you might then cause yourself another problem of uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> having to go out and buy lime. And so it's it's really best to try and address other things like, has it, when was the last time we got rain? You uh-huh. know? Right. Plants can't grow without water. Right. So, or, you know, am I overgrazing? Mm-hmm. That can lead, mm-hmm. the overgrazing can absolutely lead to low productivity. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, nitrogen... It's it's a tricky one on and pastures, but I think if you have enough um, enough organic matter and you give your plants enough rest and having legumes is key, mm-hmm. you know, um, mixed into your pasture mm-hmm. to like have stable nitrogen levels over time. Is there a number of um, like when I look at our forage composition? A percentage that you would recommend of legumes to to really provide a good benefit. Uh, the the U of A says twenty five percent. Okay, and that's and that should provide enough uh, nitrogen for the grasses. Yeah, to, oh, to be good. stable levels over time. That's good to know. 
And legumes, that can be any of the clovers or vetches or mm -hmm. whatever else. Yes, there's, there's, <laughs> lo there's lots to choose Alfalfa, from. Alfalfa, whatever. Right. <laughs> All of those fun ones. Clover and vetch are big ones around here. Yes, yes, we have both of those. Okay, so we've gone through all of these sections on the soil test. Um, just real practically, you know, if I, if, I, if I didn't know anything and I just said, okay, Nina, tell me what you would do with this, you know, particular pasture, um, knowing the pH is good, organic matter is good, way too much phosphorus, low potassium, you know, probably maybe need some nitrogen. What would you do? <laughs> what, what would Nina do? <laughs> well, I think, um, I wouldn't worry about the nitrogen. Um, if you're grazing this, mm -hmm. the cows are, to use the livestock term, pooping out most of the nutrients that they're taking in. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to lose that much okay. nutrients. Um, the potassium, I think that's the only thing I would really address here um, by applying potash to this specific pasture. And mm -hmm. on the recommendation, it says um, 100 pounds per acre. Okay. And that, that seems like a reasonable amount. Um, and if, you're, if you get to that level and you bring your potassium up to the optimum level, mm -hmm. um, that, and, and you can apply it and then soil test again you know, in the next year, and see if it's gotten up there. And then, just depending on your management, you might not have to do that again for a long time. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not removing all of those nutrients, right. it should be able to maintain it. Because potassium doesn't tend to you know, leach or run off or volatilize like right. <laughs> all these other things can do. Okay. So, so that's, that's where I would uh, invest your money. Um, since since your organic matter is good and and your pH is good, I don't really see any other amendments that you would have to add. Mm -hmm. Just keep up with the good management, like you do, giving your plant your plants time to rest mm -hmm. in between grazing periods, mm -hmm. and um, and maintaining those organic matter levels. And um, the only other thing that I always encourage is um, making sure you have good plant diversity. Yes. Um, that'll keep your pasture uh, really productive and vibrant. Um, the more diversity, the better. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've got a good mix of warm season, cool season, some legumes mm -hmm. in there. Um, you can always um, add more, you know, sometimes in the winter, it's a good opportunity to, to seed. Mm -hmm. um, like if, if your pasture kind of gets pugged up with, you know, cattle grazing on wet, not growing soil. Right. <laughs> you know, you can throw out some uh, forage turnip, you know, or yeah. some brassicas mm -hmm. or other things um, and get those in to cover up the sort of exposed soils and things like that. So just always increasing plant diversity um, and in to, to help increase mm -hmm. organic matter. Um, those are, those are practices I would do. Yeah. Um, well, and we do that wherever we feed, uh, round bales, you know, when we move the, the feeder, we throw out, um, you know, pasture mix seed and mm -hmm. clover to, to get that seeded in just to, to help where, yeah, they are, you know, it is getting a little muddy yeah. where, where yeah. they stand around for a few days. And, yeah. And, and actually, each. um, 
round bales or hay bales are a source of seed themselves a lot yes. of the time. So that's a good... Um, as long as it's good seeds, good not seed weed enough. seeds. <laughs> yeah. You might get more diversity than you want. <laughs> but it can, you know, it can be a cheap uh, twofer. You know, mm-hmm. you, get, you feed your cows and you get some, or your livestock, and you get some seed in there too. Yeah. Uh, and it, some people, you know, roll out their round bales to cover more area. Mm-hmm. and. And that's a good source of nutrients too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another good tip for management in the winter time when you are feeding hay. Move around the spots that you're feeding it because yes. they're not going to eat a hundred percent of the hay, no. um, but your soil will <laughs> eat whatever the cows leave leave behind. So, so that's that's another good practice. Yeah, I'm glad I thought of that one. Yes, yeah. good, thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you, Nina, for walking me through my um, soil test results. And um, linked with this podcast, we will have a copy of this. So just so you can see it and see if it looks similar or different to the soil test you receive. And um, we will also have several of our ATRA publications and tutorials linked. Um, I think our our managed grazing tutorial and we have a, a soil tutorial that will have some really practical tips that go along mm-hmm. with some of the yeah. things we talked about today. Our, our soil tutorial, we have a you know basic introduction to soil management, soil health, and um, one of the first lesson is um, on-farm soil assessments. So it's a really good complement to soil testing. Uh-huh. It's just using your eyes and your shovel and a few <laughs> other basic tools to to sort of diagnose and indicate, you know, how, how healthy your soil is and how well it's functioning. So that's a really good resource. Um, and also soil testing, it really can be area specific. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know a lot about the university of Arkansas soil test results, but we have a lot of other specialists on staff around the country that can be helpful for more regional, um, expertise, um, whether you're in the Northeast, the northwest <laughs> southwest wherever yeah. you are we have we have soil specialists with with really good region specific knowledge yeah absolutely so please give us a call or send us a an email or a message and we will will help um answer not only our soil questions but all of your sustainable ag questions so um thank you guys and um i'm going to make sure nina makes more soil-related podcasts so you guys can can tune in and and get all of your soil questions answered. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening to, be sure to rate us and leave us a review or comment. For more information on this topic, you can contact Nina Prater directly via email at ninap at incat.org. That's N-I-N-A-P at N-C-A-T dot org. And in the notes below this podcast, we'll include links to the publication, tutorial, and test results that Nina and Margo talk about. And please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at incat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T dot org. Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics, everything from farm planning to pest management, from produce to livestock and soils to aquaculture. 
You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at our website, www.atra.incat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.